Well, welcome. Good to see everybody today. Why don't you clap for somebody who made it to church? It's a big deal for somebody. If you're new with us, my name is John. I'm lead pastor here. I'm glad you've joined us today. And uh, hey, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Next weekend, uh, things are a little different. So we've got nine experiences instead of four, as we usually have on this campus and one at French Valley. So next weekend, if you come at 10.30 just thinking, oh, I'm just going to go to church like I did this week, the good news is you'll be on time because the service will start at 11. So I want to make sure that you actively choose what service you're going to come to. And a few things that you might want to know about. If you've got little kids on, uh, on the Sunday morning, 9 and 11, we're going to have a petting zoo. Uh, we just want to make sure our kids have something fun and they don't just read about the animals in the manger, but they get to touch them, pet them. So uh, if you've got little kids, maybe choose the Sunday morning, 9 or 11 next week for Christmas. Or whether you come on Monday at 2 o'clock or Saturday at 4 or 6 or Sunday morning or Sunday night, all of the services will be the same great experience, and so you're not going to miss out any which way, but the uh, petting zoo is only on a Sunday morning. And then we have a, a horse-drawn carriage on Saturday at 4 and on uh, Monday at 2. So uh, if you like that kind of thing, a well, few people do, so come at those times. Anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to next weekend, but today, this is Real to Real Part Four. So in this series, what I've been doing is uh, taking some time to, to remember some, some Christmas movie classics and looking at what's on the real, but then looking at what's real in our own lives and what's real in the Word of God and seeing if there's anything that God has for us there. So uh, I've been feeling nostalgic. Actually, every year uh, around this time, I start feeling nostalgic for the way things used to be, like when I was a kid. Anyone else grew up as a child of the 70s or 80s? Show your pride for a second. Raise that hand. Okay, so growing up in the you know, 70s and 80s, here's what I remember. I remember that in December every year that uh, there, there were these movies that would be played on TV as specials, and there there was no cable, there was no DVRs, none of that. You had to read the TV guide and you had to find out when is Frosty the Snowman playing. And then you would carve out that time to make sure to sit there so you could watch it. Or the next week they'd show the Charlie Brown Peanuts Christmas special. Anybody a fan of, come on, there's nothing like it, you know? But you had to make sure to read the TV guide and figure out when it was and make sure that your rabbit ears were tilted just right so you could get that. And then my favorite though of all time, Every year, I couldn't wait to see it, was The Grinch. But I'm not talking about this newfangled Pharrell Williams Grinch, as awesome as it might be. I'm not talking even about the old newfangled Jim Carrey Grinch. I'm talking about the original, <laughs> the 1966 animation of the Seuss classic, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And it's all about this green who from Whoville that hated Christmas. And this clip tells why. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve, hating the Who's, staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown. 
at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every who down in Whoville beneath was busy now, hanging a holly who week. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers, nervously drumming. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Don't you love that 1966 animation? It's, you can see every little line. It's almost, it almost has a calming effect, you know? Anyway, th- this movie, uh, I, I love what happens next. I mean, he, he, well, I don't love it, but uh, this, this story unfolds. He steals Christmas. At least he tries. He goes down to Whoville, and he takes all of the boxes and packages and bags, and he even steals little Susie Who's Christmas tree. It's horrible and awesome all at the same time. And uh, the reason why he hates Christmas so much and why he wants to steal the joy of it if he could is because he's got a heart problem. I mean, we saw it, right? The most famous scene in 1966 Christmas animation, his heart was two sizes too small and he's got a heart problem. But I'm wondering if maybe some of us do too. That's kind of what I'm thinking about when I see this. I wonder if, if maybe we've got a heart problem. I mean, we're probably not trying to go and destroy a whole town's Christmas somewhere, but I wonder if maybe we're carrying a little bit of I just can't stand her, and I'm just so upset and bitter about him, and I'm never going to forgive her for what she said to me, you know, those kind of things. And I wonder if maybe we've got a heart problem, and the thing I know about God is that he always wants to deal with those. He never wants to leave us with a heart problem. He always wants to bring his goodness to touch that heart problem that we've got. So anyway, the Grinch, he's got his heart problem, and he makes a discovery. He discovers that uh, not everybody has a heart problem like he does. In fact, the Who's down in Whoville, even though he tried to steal all of their stuff, they still have hearts full of Christmas love and joy and they're still connected to each other in community, and it's beautiful. Check out Whoville for a second. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzle was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more.
what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then, the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches, plus two. I love it. I kind of miss the simplicity of that 60s animation, man. It, it really is it, soothing. <laughs> anyway, this, this Grinch scene, you know, it, it, basically if you caught the moral of the story is the dog saved the day. Did anyone catch that? Anyway, the, the Grinch's heart changes. I mean, that's the, the moral of the story, right? And, and as a kid, it always made such an impression on me, that particular scene, uh, like the first one and the last one. And, and, and we saw that his heart changed. In fact, his heart, it says, it, we saw it in the x-ray, it grew through Three sizes that day it grew so big that it busted the animation x-ray right and every time I saw that it gave me a little bit of hope that if a Grinch's heart can change mine can too you know and I hope that for some of us we recognize that maybe it's time for the heart conditions that we've got to be changed and to allow the touch of God to come where it's needed our hearts can change and it matters that they do you know, we, we, we use the word and the language of the heart in a lot of ways, even in, in just common talk. I mean, we might talk about somebody and say, ah, oh, he, just, he, just no, he has no heart for it. Or we say, ah, oh, my heart's just not in it. Or, oh, they're just so hard-hearted. Ah, oh, she's so cold-hearted. Uh, I don't have a sense of what your heart is on this. You know, we talk about it like that. There's like 60 or 70 expressions like that in English because there is something about the heart that we understand intrinsically. It, it's valuable, it's meaningful, and we want to understand what's going on with ours. I want to have us take a little bit of time today to understand God's heart about the heart, God's view of the heart. From God's perspective, God sees absolutely everything. God sees the, the ways that we do what's right in front of everybody. God sees the ways that we sometimes don't quite do that in the secret hidden places. God sees what's up in every which way. God sees the, uh, the things we call bad decisions, which God's word would call sin. God sees it, he's aware of it. We might try to hide it. It's never hidden from God, he sees it all. He sees the, the bitterness or the wickedness or, or the, the adjustment that shouldn't have been made. He sees it all. But from God's perspective, what's needed is not just an external correction. But what's needed is a total internal overhaul. That's what God wants. That's what he's after, is to see a total internal overhaul. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time in the scriptures in the book of Ezekiel today. And I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. And while you're making your way to Ezekiel, here's the backdrop. The time period in which the prophet Ezekiel is speaking is the time during which the Israelites were walking away from God. The Israelite community was beginning to just disobey God's word, ignore what God's voice was saying, and they weren't walking in God's ways anymore. They weren't paying attention to God's word anymore. And so the prophet Ezekiel speaks into that situation, and it, it, what had, ends up happening next is God's people get carried off into captivity. But, but in the midst of that, uh, that time, the, the scripture in Ezekiel chapter 36 reveals God's heart. And so God speaks to the people. Even though they're in this season of disobedience and walking away from God, God still has a promise for them. And this is what the promise of God is. It says in Ezekiel 36 verse 25, 
God speaks and says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. This is the prophet Ezekiel speaking the heart of God. And it's a prophecy. And all of the prophecies in the scripture have a near-term context and a long-term context. And I just explained to you the near-term context was the people of Israel walking away from God, not paying attention to what God had for them. But the long-term context is you. This prophecy is a prophecy that can only be fulfilled when the Messiah has come. And the Messiah has come. We're celebrating that at Christmas, that God in the flesh, the reality of the promised Messiah has taken place. Somebody by now, you might have well said amen or thank you God or something. Like the promise of the Messiah has been fulfilled. And so the promises that accompany the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah can be fulfilled. Like this one. God saying, that stony, cold, stubborn, rock-hard old heart you got inside of you, I'm taking it, and I'm putting a new one in there so that you can live a new way, so that you can live a different kind of life. This promise is an amazing promise, and it's able to be fulfilled. Let me take you back to verse 25 and 26, and I want you to read it with me from the screen. Go to verse 25 and read it nice and strong. Go. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols, and I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. This word heart matters. And from a modern American perspective, when we think of the word heart, we usually think of things like, you know, Valentine's Day. And, and the heart, for the typical modern American perspective, it's that place inside of us where emotions live. And pretty much love. But from a Hebrew perspective, it's more nuanced than that. In the Old Testament, the word that's used here and in thousands of places is the word lebab. Everyone get your Hebrew on for a second and say lebab. Lebab is the Hebrew word for heart. And it doesn't just mean, it certainly doesn't just mean the, the apparatus that pumps your blood around. It refers to the spiritual, emotional part of the inner reality of who you are. And it's not just where the emotions live, it is where you're willing lives. It is where your desiring lives. It is where your capacity to make determination lives. It is where your feelings live. But, but as such, it becomes incredibly important for that to be what changes. God's not just looking for you and I to try a little bit harder to do a little bit better next time. God is looking for, at the very depths of who we are, for there to be an overhaul right down to the part of us that has will right down to the part of us that makes determinations about what we're going to go after, what we're going to go for. And it can happen. God can fulfill his word and put a new heart in us. And he does it. How many of you would, by show of hands, would say, I've had a moment in my life where I put my trust in Jesus Christ? Anybody. Have you given your life to Jesus? Then listen, you are somebody who has been made brand new. You have been born again. That's the language of Jesus. Jesus said, you must be born again. 
You've got to be. It has to happen. This is the idea Jesus had in mind, that his transformation, his fulfillment of this promise for you to receive a new heart could only be characterized well with language like that, born again. And so when you came to Jesus, you were made brand new. You were given a new chance, and you were given a new heart. And how you keep that heart matters. You know, this past week, I was uh, selling some things online. We wanted to make some space. We had some things that were kind of cluttering in the garage, and we wanted to deal with that. So I was selling a few of these things online. And uh, one of those things was a beautiful wooden teak, uh, teak wood bench. And this bench was beautiful. I mean, it had this amazing exotic teak wood and uh, beautiful grain to it. And it had a, 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 a you know, beautiful curvature to the back of the bench of, the, of this thing. And, and it was a, a glider and it had a wonderful glide function. And, and this bench was just amazing. And so I was uh, selling it on Craigslist and Craigslist was asking me for the description. It was asking me to check boxes. Like, what, what kind of condition is this bench in, Johnny boy? Is it old and used? Or or is it new, or is it in perfect condition, or like new condition, or what? And I wanted to click the box that said, like new. I did. I wanted to. I wanted to, because this bench was beautiful. 16 years ago, when I bought it, it was beautiful. It was. It was awesome. But I did not do anything to keep it in like new condition. And so this, this beautiful wooden bench, when I got it, it was, it was, it was amazing. But I, I put it outside, and it went through 16 years of seasons of rain and storms and wind and sun and rain and storms and wind, and it went through four moves. It went through three kids growing up on it and two dogs doing what the dogs do on it and, and everything in between, right? And, and so this thing, uh, when I finally had to do the description, I was like, like, no, I got to tell the truth, as is, you know? And so I sold it as is. Y'all are not even awake today. I need a little bit more participation from you. You got to realize that sometimes you get you get better sermons if you participate a little bit more enthusiastically so I know that that was a corny joke but you could still chuckle at least all right so anyway I'm talking about the heart and the, the reality is that God has done what he said he would do he has kept his promise and when you gave your life to Jesus you got a new heart it was given to you he put a new heart in you. He took the old one out and put a new one in. That's what he's willing to do. It's what he does for us. But what have you done with it? Have you kept it in like new condition? Or have you just shoved it out into the storms and left it that way? Because you know what? That, that bench I described, if I had done things differently, if I would have taken it into the garage and, and oiled it up from time to time, if I would have put some, some grease into the, the joints of that glider mechanism from time to time, if I would have maybe kept the dogs off it a little bit more, you know, then it might even to this day be in like new condition. And this heart that God has put in you, this new heart that God has put in you, it has the ability to be kept in like new condition, but it takes some intentionality from us. And so, listen, we're grateful for the new heart, but are we grateful enough to do something to keep it in like new condition? Because that's what this message is about today. And the first thing you got to recognize about that new heart, listen, it says, I'm going to take out that old stony, okay, I, I added the old word in, I want to make it sound more severe, take out that stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, tender responsive heart, a tender heart. A lot of us know that it can be so beautiful when a person has a tender heart. Because a tender heart is one through whom the love of God can flow. A tender heart is one that there's empathy and there's compassion that can flow. It's a beautiful thing. And that tender or soft heart 
is, is, is part of the new heart that God gives. But you and me have to keep it that way. You keep that new heart soft through God's presence. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this thought down. Keep it soft through God's presence. Keep it soft through God's presence. That new heart, it's perfectly tender and soft. But you and me, we need to do something to keep it that way. You know what? In the scriptures, there's something like a thousand verses that use the word heart to describe a person's state or condition. And a lot of, so many of those verses describe a person's heart as being calloused or hard. And many of us have known when a person's got a hard heart or a callous heart, not a lot of fun to be around them, right? You get this roughness, you get this, uh, this rigidness, and there's not a lot of compassion that comes through. And don't elbow him right now. Don't do that. But, but listen, this is the reality, that we, we need to be able to do something about that, that hard heart. Because God didn't intend for it to stay that way. He gave it to you new and tender. But this is what the scripture says that it can, it, it can become hardened. Hebrews 3.15 says it like this. It says, remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If the scripture says, don't harden your hearts, you could probably come to the conclusion that what God actually does want us to do is to soften it, to keep it soft. That new heart can be kept soft, but it takes some intentionality. I, I was doing some work in the back, backyard, as you've heard in the last few weeks in my messages, but part of what I was doing, I was putting, extending a little part of fence where I didn't have a fence before. And so what that meant is I needed to put a new fence post right over here where I didn't have one. And so I started digging, and I quickly discovered what many of us have discovered, which is that we don't really have dirt in Murrieta. We have rock, you know, almost rock. It's this, you know, this DG, decomposed granite that just is so tough to dig through. And so I got through the first, you know, inch and a half or so and realized, man, this is going to be a lot of work. And a lot of people would rent an auger or, or a jackhammer and, and make it easy on themselves, but not me, you know. Anyway, I had this idea. I was like, you know what, I'm going to try this. And I filled that little inch deep hole with water and I let it sit for two hours and that water began to soak in and it, it released and softened that next layer just enough I could take my shovel and take that next layer out then I filled my hole again and then two hours later I dig that inch and a half out and then I filled it up again and then a two hours later I dug the next two inches out it took me two days but I got it a two foot deep hole all by the soft, thank you very much. I got the blisters to prove it. Yeah. Anyway, like the, the softening effect of that water got through the hardness that seemed so impenetrable before. And so what I'm saying to you is this new heart that God has given, you keep it like new. You keep it soft through God's presence. You know, throughout the scriptures, the scriptures associate the, the presence of God with this flow of water. Like, for example, when you read about heaven, you, you read about the throne of God, and all around the throne of God, there's this crystal sea. You read in Ezekiel 47 about from the temple of God and the most holy place, that there's a river that just flows out from that place. 
You, you hear Jesus talking about the presence of the Spirit of God within us bubbling up like a river of living water. And there's something about the presence of God that flows like that river of water and it has a softening effect. And so for you and me, if we want our hearts to be soft, we need to keep them soft through the presence of God. I'm gonna keep my heart soft through the presence of God. I want you to personalize it and say it. I'm gonna keep my heart soft through the presence of God. Through the presence of God, the scriptures invite us into an experience of awareness. In Proverbs 28, 14, it says, blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. We don't realize that a hard heart is problematic for us. When our hearts become hard, listen, do you remember what I just described about the heart? It's not just about the emotions. That heart is the place within you where your willing exists. Your heart is that place within you where your desires exist. The heart is the place within you where your capacity to make a determination exists. And so if your heart is hard, your willingness and your desires and your determinations are going to become warped and twisted and you're going to end up choosing things and festering things that are going to lead you down into a path that only falls into trouble. None of us want that. And so don't let your heart become hard, but instead be the blessed one. Blessed is the one who always say it. <laughs> you can read. I've heard it. <laughs> blessed is the one who always trembles before God. That is, blessed is the one who is able to be in the presence of God and be affected by being in his presence. Blessed is the one who, who knows how to be in the presence of God and, and feel and be moved by the presence of God. Blessed is the one who knows how to simply linger in the presence of God so that what God wants to do to our heart can happen. And, and, and so this is what we need to be, is people who can be in God's presence and experience the atmosphere shift that happens when we do come into God's presence. Listen, Psalm 97.5 says this. It says, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. Listen, if God's presence can melt mountains like wax, God's presence can deal with the hardness of heart that sometimes takes an edge on you. Do you believe it? Say amen. I'm grateful for that hope, that, that the mountains melt like wax. That gives me hope, that the hardness that sometimes begins to form on this edge over here of my heart can be dealt with, can be melted away by the presence of God. In fact, Psalm 16, verse 11 says this. It says, you make known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence. presence. Joy in his presence presence. The presence of God causes the atmosphere of our heart to shift, and we need it. So we need to be those who could keep that new heart soft through God's presence. But here's the problem. Maybe some of you have a tendency like I have. I have this, this, this problem, and the problem is that I, I can, you know, plan on having some time with God, you know, early in the morning or whatever, and I'll, you know, open my Bible or the Bible app and I'll quickly read, quickly read through those couple of chapters. Okay, okay, uh, done. Oh, wait, I have to pray. God, would you bless my day? Amen. Bye. You know, I, and I'm sorry to confess. I know you want to imagine that I exist on some cloud with angel wings or something, but I just, you know, I have a, it happens to me. But when I do that, here's what's missing. 
I'm not really getting much of, of, of dwelling in the presence of God. And, and so I shouldn't be shocked when later I have this edginess, this callousness about me because I haven't really taken the time to just linger in the presence of God. I haven't taken time for that water to just soak a little bit more. And that's what we need. And so here's what, what, what I'm urging for myself, and maybe some of you would join me in this, to, to, to make it a point, not just to complete the spiritual, you know, check the box routine, but instead to say, my goal is to be in the presence of God in this time. And if I've got 10 minutes in the morning, let me, let me read some scripture. But the goal isn't to plow through it and get it done. The goal is to maybe to, to receive some manna from God through his word and to take it in deeply and to just linger in his presence. Sometimes the best thing for us to do spiritually is to just kick back for a second and say, God, it is good to be with you. God, it is good to be with you. And to say it again, God, it is good to be with you. When you, when you take a moment like that, you know what you're doing? You're, you're putting your heart in a posture of truly seeking him. And his promise to you is that when you do that, you're going to find him. In fact, this is what the prophet Jeremiah said. Jeremiah speaks about this and says, you will seek me. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. But to do that seeking, there's got to be some time and place for it. And if, and if we're skipping over that, we're skipping over the very thing we need most, which is the softening the presence of God. Do you know what? There's some people around you that are just wishing and praying that you would somehow have a heart that would become a little bit softer. <laughs> Don't elbow him right now. Don't stop that. But there's, there's some people that they need to know that it's possible for a heart to change. Yours. And if you could, if you could do this, if you could say, all right, I'm not even a pro at this, but I'm going to try it. God, I'm, here I am. It's good to be with you. Just linger in his presence. See what he begins to do to soften that heart of yours. And uh, let's go back to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, again in verse 25. Uh, one more time, is this then? God's speaking, then? Everyone say then? Because yeah. remember, this is a prophecy about what would yet take place. That there, the Messiah would come. This prophecy is about when Jesus would finally come. And you have received the gospel. You believe, and so this day applies to you. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean and your filth will be washed away. Everyone say, your filth will be washed away. It feels a little awkward to read that verse out loud, doesn't it? I mean, we don't go around wanting to talk about our filth, you know? We don't even want to imagine that there is any. But from God's perspective, he sees it, and he's not willing to ignore it. He wants to deal with the filth, and there is some filth that's got to get dealt with. I mean, maybe for some of us, we've been on enough of a journey that we've, we've dealt with, and God has helped us deal with some of the obvious stuff, you know, the stuff that everyone else can see and go, oh, look at him. You know, that maybe we're not struggling with as much, but we still put this smiley face on for Sundays, but inside there's this seething anger and rage, or this arrogance and pride, you know. And God looks at that and goes, yeah, I know you think it's totally different than that other stuff, but it's actually not that different to me. It's still kind of filthy, and, but God is so good. He sees the filth, and, and his determination is not to say, well, look at you, you filthy little, you know. Instead, God's desire is to say, I see that. Let's, let's wash that. Let's clean that off of you. You look so much better when that mud is washed off of you. 
aren't you grateful that that's God's disposition? That that's his expressed prophetic desire is to deal with it and wash the stuff off of us. I am so grateful for my God's mercy and his grace. Somebody say, I'm thankful for his grace. I'm thankful for his grace. I'm thankful that his desire is to allow me to be clean through what he has done. So the second thing I wanna do is I wanna recognize that new heart that I've been given, it is pure. But I then get to keep it pure through God's grace. If you're taking notes, write it down, that new heart, keep it pure through God's grace. Keep it pure through God's grace. Now listen, God's grace is something beautiful, it's something amazing, and you know, when I think about grace, I think about it in terms of a spectrum of what it is. And a lot of times we focus on this end of the spectrum. And here's what I mean by that. The end of the spectrum where grace is about, I don't end up having to pay for the wrong I've done because he already did. And when I think about that part of the grace of God, I think about David. David in the Old Testament, the king who's called a man after God's own heart, ended up having an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And uh, and David, though, had a real relationship with God. And so David knew that he could come to God and ask God to forgive him. He knew that about God's character, that God would be willing to have grace for him. David shows us that it's appropriate to anticipate that about God. And so David comes, and it's recorded in Psalm 57. Psalm, or sorry, Psalm 51, verse 7. In Psalm 51, verse 7, David comes with his own guilt and his shame, and, 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 and the, the mud is kind of caked on, so to speak. And he comes and he, and he says, God, verse 7, purify me from my sins, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Why don't you say that phrase out loud with me? Say it. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. One more time, say it. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. David knew that the heart had to be kept pure through God's grace. And what that means is that there's got to be some moments where we acknowledge the grime that somehow got on it. Because when you became a believer in Jesus, God gave you a new heart that's totally free from sin and shame and guilt, thoroughly pure all the way. But it's kind of like a while back, I got a new pair of sneakers. And I was so excited with these new sneakers and I wanted to try them out. And so I decided to go you know, for a long walk in the, in the trails over there. But the problem was it had rained recently. And so by the time I was on my way back, I realized I had gotten mud caked on all over the bottoms of my new shoes. And so now they were like heavy. They felt like lead on these new shoes. And they were leaving marks everywhere I was walking. And it was so upsetting. Like, can you imagine that? Do you know what that feels like? These new shoes. But you know what I had to do? When I got home, I had to sit down and I had to take a, a, a little wire brush and just start knocking that mud off of there, and then a little water, and then a little bit of sponge, and then they were as good as new again. But, but I had to do something, and it had to be a moment. And, and likewise, in our spiritual lives, there's got to be a moment where we can say this, God created me a clean heart. I stepped in it, God, I need help getting it off. And, and listen, there may be consequences in the natural realm that we're still gonna have to work through, 
But we can experience the purifying grace of God and the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, and we need it. But that's this end of the spectrum of the grace of God. That new heart, you keep it pure through the grace of God. And sometimes it looks like this, having those moments where you cry out, clean me, God, purify my heart. And we gotta do that. That's only one part of the grace of God. You wanna know what the other part of the grace of God is? It's in Titus chapter two, verses 11 and 12. And this is maybe the most important aspect of God's grace you could ever latch onto. In Titus two, 11 and 12, it says, for the grace of God, everyone say the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us. What is it? The grace. The grace of God. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. That's the grace of God. The grace of God is not only the get out of hell free card. The grace of God is just as much as the get into the ways of God card. It's both. Come on, somebody, why are you so quiet? You should have said amen to that. Telling you, you would have gotten a a few more lines of revelation if you would have just said it. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Some of us need more of that aspect of the grace of God. We've thought about the grace of God just in terms of this aspect of a, well, I did it, oops, I did it again, you know, and we're rocking the Britney and feeling bad and getting some more grace, but that's only that end of the spectrum. What about, I don't have to keep doing that anymore. I can be changed, and it is the grace of God that's going to do the changing. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And some of us, we've gotten so used to just, I'm going to just keep on saying yes to ungodliness because it's fun. Until it bites you in the behind, and it will. And so the grace of God is powerful, but important for you and I to step into an experience of. You keep the new heart pure through God's grace. The grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives, right here and right now. In this present age, you could go ahead and translate that, right here and right now. It's not just about, yeah, you know, one day when I get to heaven, you know. No, right here and right now, you can actually learn to keep your heart pure through God's grace. That's what we're made for, an experience of his grace. Back to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 25. Again, God says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and your filth will be washed away and you'll no longer worship idols and I will give you a new heart I will put a new spirit in you I'll take out your stony stubborn heart and I'll give you a tender responsive heart everyone say responsive oh responsive is a good thing uh, a friend recently bought a, a, an amazing car, and it happens to be a, a V10 supercar, like an amazing vehicle, right? And he told me about it, and then he pulled up to my house and he said, hey, you want to try driving it? I was like, oh, are you serious? Me? You know, and he let me drive this thing. It, it was amazing. I could not even believe it. It had the, uh, the gated manual shift. You could feel every, you know, gear. It was just so cool. But what was amazing to me about it is, like, the, a little tiny touch on that gas pedal and boom, this thing just took off. Like a little bit of turn on that steering wheel and I'm still enjoying it. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) it was responsive. It was so responsive. And you know what made it so responsive? 
it was how light it was. The reason it could be so responsive is because it was light, you know? It's made with these pre- you know, precious lightweight metals and carbon fiber all around so it can be as light as possible because that way it can be really responsive. You know what? Our heart, it, it does its best when it's kept light. And, and so the third part of this message is to keep it light through God's love. The heart, it's got to be kept light, and you keep it light through God's love. It's not always easy to do. For me personally, I struggle with Atlas syndrome. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but have you ever seen the sculpture of, of the, the, the handsome, you know, muscle guy, and he's, he's like standing like this with his perfect physique, and he's holding the world on his back, right? And I, I, that's Atlas, right? And Atlas is holding the whole world, and so I, I struggle with Atlas syndrome. Not the muscly, you know, part, but just the, the part about holding the world, you know? I, I sometimes have that feeling, you know, like it, it's all on me. It's all on my shoulders. Eh? The whole weight of the world is on me. But all the while, the song they taught us as kids is still true that he's got the in his hands, right? And so that's the truth. And, 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 and from time to time, I need to line back up with that reality. And and where I feel like the whole world is on my shoulders and the whole weight of it is all on me, I got to just say, God, I give this back to you. It's yours. The weight of it all, it's yours, God. Because when I do that, then my heart can be light and responsive the, the way it's meant to be. So you keep it light through God's love. Think about that Grinch for a minute, right? I mean, we saw the clip. His heart was two sizes too small. Why did that happen? Well, for the Grinch, it happened because of rejection. What, what is it that diminishes your ability to have a loving heart? For a lot of us, it's, it's things like that. I mean, it, it could be rejection that you've endured, or abandonment, or fear, or not having any real rest, or abuse that's taken place, or manipulation, or mistakes that you've made, or injury done to you, or losses that you've experienced, or just simply not enough of an experience of God, or things that have happened to you that you had no control over. I don't know what those things are, but those things bring heaviness, and that heaviness diminishes the responsiveness that God desires. And so we need his healing. We need his love to come and to bring healing to every level of our heart where the heaviness has set in strong. Because this is what the scripture says in Romans chapter five and verse five. It says, we know how dearly God loved us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Why don't you read this out loud with me, okay? Ready, read it from the screen. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. What many of us need is a deeper experience with Holy Spirit. Because when, when we really open our lives up to the, the flow of Holy Spirit, this is part of what happens. The Holy Spirit is not just there to make sure that somebody can do some spiritual, you know, supernatural gift over there. That's part of it. But Holy Spirit is also here to, like the oldest translation says, shed abroad the love of God into our hearts. Or like the NLT says, to fill our hearts with his love. And we need it. When when the love of God comes into your heart, the heaviness is moved aside. 
The love of God has the capacity to heal the places that have been wounded in you. The love of God has the ability to mend the things that have been broken inside of you. The love of God has the capacity to bring light to the places that have been darkened by fear. The love of God has the ability to bring a solution where there's been nothing but a trap. The love of God is what we need, and so therefore, we need the Holy Spirit. Somebody today, what you need more, more than anything is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be absolutely just drenched in the Holy Spirit so that this can happen, so that the, the love of God can fill your heart. But, you know, do you know how dearly God loves you? If you raised your hand earlier when I said, are, are you a believer in Jesus? Then, then you do. You know how dearly God loves you. You know that he loves you so dearly that he allowed his one and only son, Jesus, in perfection to be the sacrifice for your sins so you could be forgiven. You know that. Uh, but for some of us, we, we don't know that yet. We don't know how dearly God loves us. At least we haven't taken it in personally. But today, here and now, I invite you to, to once and for all settle the issue. I don't know if God loves me or not. Know that he does. Through Jesus, he's demonstrated it. But have you received it yet? Have you received the love of Jesus? Here and now, it's the time to do it, to ask Jesus to forgive you and save you. Let's pray together, can we? Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would help us to be those who would take care of the new heart you give. And so for some of us, God, we acknowledge in this moment, it's gotten kind of hard. And so for, for those of us where it's gotten a little bit hard, God, I pray that you would allow us a new ability to just be in your presence more. And I believe, God, and, and I pray for this, I prophesy this, that by being in your presence, God, you will soften the hard parts of hearts. I believe for this, God. And then for others of us, God, we, we, that heart's got, got some junk caked onto it somehow for some of us lord we need the we need that cleaning and while we're sitting here praying together maybe the best thing for you to do is to just acknowledge that to say god i need some heart cleaning he knows it already so why don't you just go ahead and deal directly with him about it god i need some heart cleaning i need some caked on stuff to get brushed off I see this vision while I'm praying for those of you who are kind of camping out on this idea, and I just see God just as a dad, like tenderly just kind of taking you and, and just like brushing it off, brushing it off. Without condemnation, just with a, a merciful, loving, fatherly goodness. Let me take care of that. Just ask him, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Just say it to him right now while we're praying. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. I need your help to deal with this stuff. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. But now as we've prayed this way, I want to pray for a spiritual activation for you. That you would not only experience his grace for what went wrong, but there would be an activation of his grace for what can go right. Do you want that? Do you want an activation of the grace of God for what can go right 
You want that? Would you raise your hand? If you're a believer, you'd say, I want more of that grace that could teach me how to say no to what I got to say no to. Ask for it. Keep your hand up. God, I pray for those of us who had our hand raised, Lord, that you would release an activation of that, that kind of grace, that aspect of your grace in us that would teach us moment by moment, in real time, in this present age, how to say no to the stuff we need to learn how to say no to, God. So, Spirit of God, come and create an activation of your spirit in us to learn that and to have more of that kind of grace in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.